Mary Antipas married the daughter of a neighboring king, but divorced her to marry the wife of his half-brother Philip. John the Baptist rebuked him for this, and Herod's response, he arrested John, and one sad night at a drunken dinner party, he was seduced by his wife and daughter into killing him. Mark writes, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. In other words, he gave him a hearbrush. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. Antipas meets Jesus in person a year or two later. After his arrest, just before his crucifixion, our Lord was sent by to Herod by Pilate for judgment. We read, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he long desired to see him. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. So Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him. As you know, Jesus is sent back to Pilate to be crucified. The third generation of this family features Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod Agrippa. This third Herod was also raised in Rome, close to the imperial family. When he became ruler, he too was able to meet Jesus, but not in person. He met Jesus through the apostles. In Acts 12, we read that Herod the Great, Herod the King, made violent hands on some who belonged to the church. To Garrett the King, hurried political favor, he killed the apostle James, and he had Peter thrown into prison. And when God miraculously intervened and let Peter escape, Herod the Great slaughtered the guards. They would chip off the old law. Another murderous and violent man committed above all to maintaining his own power. Well, what happened to him? Luke records his death in Acts. Herod draws to a boat took his seat upon the throne and made a great speech, and the people shouted, The voice of the God, and not of the man. And immediately an angel, an angel of the Lord smote him, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten up by worms and God. The word of God grew and multiplied. And I'll finish this sad tale with the fourth generation, Drusilla and Pharaoh. Herod Agrippa had three children who raised themselves to leadership. All three of them sat in judgment on Paul during his trials. One of these was Priscilla, who was married to Felix, the Roman governor of Judea from 52 to 59. She seems to have chosen a husband who fit the family DNA well. For Felix was known for his greed and brutality. In 57, Paul is arrested and put on trial for his life. Acts says that after some days, Felix came with his wife Priscilla, who was a Jew, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ and argue about justice and self-control and future judgment. And I bet that Paul took Felix and Priscilla to task 
about the pattern of leadership in Palestine over the last hundred years. He may have spoken of despots that ruled with an iron fist and murderous outbursts, and about tyrants who governed by their passions and jealousies and obsessions and lusts. He would have spoken about Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who Priscilla's great-grandfather mocked and whose apostles her father killed. This Jesus, Paul would have said, has been raised from the dead and will judge the nations and every king upon the earth. Felix Rebid was alarmed and said, Go away for the present and I will come and call you back. Felix was frightened. Right there and then, he had an opportunity to break out of the family bondage and discover a new life. The door was open. Felix left Paul in jail for two years, never did call him back. Once again, his family closed its heart to God and the gospel of Christ. Felix was eventually yanked by Caesar and disappears off the stage of history. And elsewhere in Judea, the last of Herod's prepared to grace descendants dies childless, and this disease line comes to an end. What a queer sermon for Advent, you think. <laughs> but I think Herod's family illustrates some of the main themes of this season. First, <clears throat> consider the persistence of God's grace. For four generations, every one of these kings and their families encountered Jesus, either in person or through his church. Every one of them heard the good news. In spite of their hostility, their wickedness, their determined opposition, again and again, God came back to them. It's the same thing that God did with Israel of old. Through prophets and sages, God calls his people back into the covenant with him and taught them the way to the Messiah and the Messianic age. God kept coming to Herod's family. God kept coming to Israel. No one is beyond his offer of salvation. Remember that. God is not dissuaded by our failures or deterred by our sins. He is the hound of heaven. He has a persistent love that will not fail or fall or quit. Secondly, consider the generational consequences of sin. Now, when you and I think of sin, if we think of sin, we tend to think of what sin does to me. I am responsible. I bear the weight of sin. But the scriptures have a larger perspective. Sin not only has individual consequences, it has communal consequences. Sin infects and sin spreads. And through the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, Satan's sin and death enter into the world. And that sin made a Savior necessary. God rescued. 
very gentle. Let nothing be dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. And when you look at the family of Herod, you cannot miss the generational consequences of sin. His character, his faults, became the defining DNA of his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. His descendants grew into the mold that Herod the Great had created. The Bible says that the sins of the fathers will be visited upon their children and their children's children. And what that, think, what that means, I think, is that what we do with our lives, what you do with your life, affects more than you. Your children, your grandchildren, for better or worse, travel in your wake, live with your legacy, follow in your steps. Think of the pattern of your family. If there is a generational pattern of lust or lying or greed or something else, you will either break it or pass it on. I'm told that my grandfather's father ran a prison farm was one of the hangmen of the province of Manitoba. Hangings were done in counties in those days. He was a horrible man by all repute. We have one picture of him, and that is him striding down the road in the prison farm carrying a bullet. He said that he no more think about hanging a person than shooting a rabid dog. His wife would depart from him for over 30 years. His children had nothing to do with him. My grandfather left home at 11 to work on the railroad because of him. My grandfather told me that he determined he was not going to be like his father. If we break generational patterns of sin, our children have a chance walk free. And then thirdly, consider the generational consequences of grace. If there are generational consequences of sin, the same is true with grace. Again and again, Scripture reminds us that the promises of God in Christ are for you and your children. The faith of Abraham paved the way for Moses and all the holy men and women of the Old Testament. The faith of even one person will touch and bless all those whose lives overlap theirs. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. But as it is, they are included in the spiritual purposes of God. Paul is saying that Jesus has a special attention for the whole family, even if there is only one believer there. 
to be sure they should come to faith for themselves. But it is your faith that paves the way for their faith. How you and I believe, how we live, how we act, either casts a shadow or lights a candle for succeeding generations. Your testimony, your faith, your living makes the difference. So during this Advent season, we thank God for how He's worked in the past, our own past, and the past of all those faithful women and men who have gone before us. And we look forward with joy and expectation to what God will do for us and what God will do for all people in the future. The words of today's poet we pray, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great light come on us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver.